Good morning, everybody. Once again, we're so excited to have you with us. Um, that was kind of a week. I know, I, I know that we're just kind of getting settled in, right, to, to life back in live person, um, but that was a week. Your passing of the peace was horrendous. You know, I mean, at least half, so, I mean, I saw, hey, you know, they can't hear you online, all right? So just go, hey, what up, yo, peace. I mean, come on, if you're gonna be in here, be in here. You know, people in the balcony know what I'm talking about. Nothing. Thank you, Toppin. Just hand raise. That's literally what I was just saying not to do. I was saying to be vocal about it. Um, so we are excited. Look, I got to tell you, um, it, this is a weird experience for all of us. And, and, and we're working with um, a, a kind of a team, some staff members, leadership, some doctors, and, and we're looking at the governor and, and what he's doing and the federal regulations and the checklists. And we're trying to make everything happen so that everybody can be in here, right? And we're trying to do it the best way that we can. And and right now you might be online th thinking, there, there ain't nobody in there, I don't see anybody. Well, that, there's a reason for that because we have the cameras, right? We haven't moved them yet. They're not gonna be here next week, but we have cameras right in the center, the, the center aisle of the sanctuary, which is a little inconvenient. Um, and if we had people in front, the cameras would be just hitting the backs of their heads. And, and so we didn't wanna uh, have anyone show their bald spots on, uh, on live TV, you know what I'm talking about. So, so <laughs> hit a little too close to home there, Ralphie boy. Um, and so the, the camera's gonna be up and, and we'll move people a little closer and, and spread out a little more. But uh, we're, we're so excited to be doing this series. Man, I'm excited. Last week, if y'all were with us last week, was, um, was, it was a fun series. We, we wrapped up the series on Choose Joy and, and at the 11 o'clock, they brought me the, the sweating preacher rag, right? I was sweating so much at the end of it and, um, and some water that thankfully Maggie threw me a, a bone here. And, and I gotta tell you, during worship today, I was sweating again, man. I, I am, I, I'm loving how uh, our team is laying it down. Can y'all give them a little extra props for how our worship team is leading through this? time. I, uh, yeah, and I, I love that we're growing and having more of the people up there. And, and it's funny, uh, Jordan, our drummer, um, he, I, 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 and, I, and I'm, I have a deep heart for Jordan. Jordan just turned 40 everybody, uh, the other day. Everybody say happy birthday, Jordan. Um, and, and Jordan is, uh, he, he, to me, he looks like a Muppet. Anybody else, when he's back there and his head's going around, he looks like a Muppet back there. And so I always, and he, I used to sit up front and he goes, is that, are you gonna move your spot? You're, his wife, you're, I'm right, aren't I? You see, you know, um, and, and I moved over there to the organ and he's like, is that gonna be your permanent spot? Because I like to, I need to have eye contact with you. And I was like, oh man, I need some eye contact with my Muppet up there also. So I had to move a little bit because August was spreading herself out a little too much, I thought. Um, and so, but I love having our worship team here and being here and together in worship and, and together wherever you are, because I know you're joining with us and, and, and singing those songs and, and just praising God. And some of you are singing more at home than you ever did in here because no one's judging you there. It's not true. The people at home judge you more than anyone else, uh, right? We've all learned that over this COVID time. Um, but, but we're rolling into this new series called Big Church. And it's, it's from a book by uh, this pastor, Andy Stanley. He's done a couple of things in his life. And, um, and he, he wrote this book. And Big Church is this idea that the church is a big idea, huge idea. And, and, and when you say the word church, automatically something comes to mind. When you start thinking about what is the church, you know, we, and Natalie just did a great job of that and sang the song. And, but when you really think about the word church, what, what is your idea of church, right? I think a lot of us, it's, it's loaded on what we think 
the church really is or, or, or should be or, or, or what is the church for, for us. And, you know, when the, when the church began, they didn't, they didn't have Bibles, right? When the first church began, they didn't have Bibles. They didn't have bands. They didn't have banners. They, they certainly didn't have buildings or, or anything else with a B, right? I mean, they didn't have robes. Um, they, they didn't have robes. They didn't have quite, it, it didn't begin as something like that. But somewhere along the, the line, it turned that direction. The church began as, as a movement, right? The church began as, as a gathering of people based around one simple idea, that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, that he lived, that he died, and that he conquered death. That was it. It, it, it was a movement of people who believed that Jesus Christ did what he said he would do take the cross and conquer death. Somewhere along the way, it changed. So the word church, let's look at the word church. In, in, in Greek, the word church is ekklesia. Say ekklesia. Yeah, it's passable. Um, ekklesia is, is the word in Greek that is used in the New Testament to describe it. And what ekklesia is translated as is assembly or gathering or congregation. Right, ecclesia is this word to describe a gathering of people, an assembly of people. And so that's what it began as. In fact, when Jesus, who's the first one to use this term, uses it, he's thinking in mind of a gathering of people, an assembly, a congregation, if you will. But then about 300 years later, you have a turn. 300 years later, you have this German, East German group, and, and the Goths is what they are. And they had a word that they used, and it was kirch. Or something like that. Where's Maggie? You speak German, is that right? <laughs> Sounds like Klingon-ish, right? And so it's Kirk uh, is, is what it is. And, and, and so we, you know, will pronounce that as church, is, has an English pronunciation. But with the word Kirk in, in their language um, meant Lord's house. And, and, and so what, what happened was with this one little shift going from ecclesia to putting it into a different language and using this word church, we started focusing not on an assembly or a gathering, but on a house, the Lord's house. And what that did is that opened up an interpretation of scripture and new theology that was devastating. Because what happened is this, when you begin to focus that the church, the, the thing that Jesus said would be the mechanism by which the kingdom of heaven would come, when you say that the church is a building, then whoever controls the building controls everything, right? When you begin to see the church as just a building, then whoever has control of that building has control of the scriptures. They have control of God. In fact, it's really a hearkening back to the Old Testament times when, when God was in a temple and everyone knew that where God lived was in the Holy of Holies and, and the priests controlled access to that. So what happened with this theology is, is the church, religion, scripture, everything was controlled by the building. And when you control the building and you control the religion and you control God, then you control the people. And in a lot of parts in Europe, you control the government too. And so you see where, where, where the original church was without location, once we make this one little turn into church, into location, everything changes. 
In the 16th century, there was a guy named William Tyndale. And many of you may know that name because he was amazingly influential in the life of the kingdom of God. William Tyndale was a guy who lived in England and he didn't like the fact that the church of England had so much power and control over everything. The, the, the scriptures were in their ancient texts or even in Latin and, and no one could understand them or read them except the priests. And so he set about going, you know what, that's not right. Everybody needs to have access to the word of God. And so he set about translating the scripture from its original texts into English. And his, his goal was to get a copy of the scripture into every person's hand. Now, what do you think the church thought of this? Uh-uh, no, 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 my friend, we have the power. You're not taking the power away from us. And so his life was in danger and he fled to Germany. He goes to Germany where, strangely enough, Sometime earlier, a guy named Gutenberg had created this printing press. And so Tyndale, with this new printing press stuff with him, translates the scripture into English and begins to smuggle them into England. He begins to, to smuggle these scriptures, these, these God-breathed words into people who never had access to them before. And this just destroys the Church of England. They get so angry and so mad. William Tyndale says this to the bishops. He says, if God spare my life ere many years, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow to know more of the scriptures than thou dost. Right, I know, he got to say it like that. He talked a long time ago, right? So he's, and what he's saying is, man, if I, if I continue, if God continues to give me breath, I will make sure that every, even the most uneducated person will have the scriptures in their hands and they will know them better than you do. Now, what eventually happens to, to Tyndale is one of his friends betrays him and turns him over and the church of England hangs him Till he's dead. And then just to make sure, because maybe he was only mostly dead. Thank you. Um, that was Connor's joke reminding me of it. They burned him. They hang him till he's dead and then they burn him. They're trying to make a point. The power resides with the church, the building. The power is, let me tell you, if you don't hear the same struggle going on at this time as Jesus was fighting against the Pharisees, listen up because this is exactly what he was doing. He was going into a world where religion and access to God was controlled by a specific elite and breaking it all down. And so William Tyndale gets these, these books, these, these words into people. And one of the key sticking points of the Church of England was his use of the word ecclesia and how he decided to translate it. Because since 300, as they have been talking about it, they use the, words, the word rather than ecclesia, church, building, power, us. And what Tyndale did is he began to use the original term, assembly, gathering, a group of people on a common mission. And this was the thing that drove them the most nuts because when you get people believing that they are the church, then the power that exists in the institution vanishes. But see, Tyndale was right, right? I mean, Tyndale was correct in his use. The first time we see this word is in Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus is, 
is speaking here and, and, and he, he asks his disciples, which it's a question that's really hard to ask. And I don't know if you've ever asked people this, like, hey, what's the word on the street about me? Have you ever asked people like, hey, what do people say about me? Right? No, nobody wants to hear that, right? Because we don't, no, I just tell me good things. I don't want to hear the bad stuff, right? But Jesus goes to his disciples. He's like, hey, you're out there. You're out there mixing it up with the other Jews. What do people say about me? Who do they say I am? And they're like, well, you know, some say you're John the Baptist, reincarnated, because John was gone at that time. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're just a really good teacher. Some say you're a prophet. And, and then Jesus looks at Peter and goes, hey, who do you say I am? And Peter says this, he goes, he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that, that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my ecclesia. And there's that word, I will build my ecclesia. I will build, not my building, not my institution. I will build my movement, my gathering of people and the gates of hell will not conquer it. Right, this is, this is Jesus casting out the vision for what's about to happen. Like he's gonna call his shot and I'm gonna die and three days later I'm coming back, but then I'm gonna be with dad and it's gonna be your turn and you are the movement that is not going to be contained in an address or in an institution or in a building. It is a movement of people and because of that it will spread across the world so that every ear will hear who I am. Right, he, he uses this word, it's not a building. He says it's a, it's a movement. And through this movement, movement, even the gates of hell will not conquer it, right? You know, Peter being Peter was just like, boom! Like, let's do this. Let's build something immediately and pack people in and give them robes and regulations. It's no, right? Jesus cast this vision for the church and where it would go. Then he goes into Jerusalem, he's betrayed, he, he's, he's on the cross and then they lay, lay him in the tomb and then the tomb's empty. And, and then he spends time with his disciples. Remember he goes and he hangs out with his disciples again. And Thomas is like, man, I don't believe, let me stick my hand in your holes. And that's just really weird and awkward, right? But Jesus is like, all right, let's roll, man. Um, and he's like, you are the son of God. And oh my gosh, I believe. And, and then he gives them their marching orders and kind of sends them. And then he spends time. He spends 40 days, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus spends 40 days just bopping around Jerusalem and in Galilee, seeing different people and hundreds of people see the resurrected Jesus. And then two months later, Jesus is, he's like, he's, he's leading them through this moment and he's like, okay, here's what's gonna happen. And this is the book of Acts chapter two. And he says, look, so when, so when they met together, when the disciples meet together with Jesus, they ask Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? See, because that was a big deal, right? The Messiah was supposed to come in and bring restoration to all things, specifically the kingdom of God, Israel this nation of Israel. And so the disciples are asking, is this the time? Is this the moment that you're going, that you're going to restore 
this kingdom and, and, and they didn't know really what the church meant. They didn't really know yet what he meant by ecclesia and this movement and this assembly of people that would gather together in, in his name. He said to them, look, it is not for you to know the times or, or the dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you know those disciples, those young teenage boys, right? They were like, power? Oh yeah, I, I, I'll take me some power, right? We're the oppressed people of all oppressed people. You wanna give me some power? I will take some power. You know they're just sitting back going, oh yeah, come on, Holy Spirit, give me whatever superpower you can. You know, disciples unite, form of crucifix. Um, or, you know, something like that. And so they get really excited about what it's going to be. But he says, when this Holy Spirit descends on you, he goes, and you will be my witnesses. And this is a key word for Jesus, right? This is a key word for this movement. He says, you will be my witnesses. And, and the word in Greek here is the same word what we think of in a, a witness in a trial. You will be someone who comes and testifies about what they have seen and what they have heard. You will, be, you will be people who go out into the world as my witnesses as to what you have seen, what you have seen on the cross, what you saw in that empty tomb, how you saw me live my life, the teachings that I have taught you, but you will be my witnesses about the change that I have made in you. It says, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem. All right, cool, I'm down with Jerusalem, that's our hood, right? To Judea, we're gonna spread out, okay, we're to Samaria. Uh, okay, maybe we really don't like those people, but if you're gonna tell us to do that, okay. And to the ends of the world. All right, well, now you're just talking, talking silly, Jesus. The ends of the world, really? I mean, the world is huge. The world's amazing. Look, look how big the Roman Empire is. And Jesus, I mean, you don't even know how big the world is. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to do things that will change the world. And so Jesus goes off. And, and then you have Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit comes. Like the disciples after that moment, they go and they meet in the upper room and they're praying for about what to do. And, and they're in prayer and Mary's in there with them and some of Jesus' brothers are in there and, and they're just praying. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just, whoom, like tongues of fire, it says, right? It just comes down on them and they all get this power that they've never had before. And they begin to speak in tongues, scripture says. And most people get weirded out by that. But what that means is they speak in languages. They speak in all the languages of the people who were there amassed for that moment. Moment. They're gathering around the steps of the temple and all of a sudden they're starting to talk and tell stories and be witnesses to who Jesus is. And Luke records 14 different languages. Now, let me tell you something. These disciples were not educated men. They were young boys who were not smart enough to keep up with other rabbis. So they had been passed over until Jesus called them. And they are sitting there speaking in 14 different languages, sharing this message, right? So much that it causes this, this huge commotion in Jerusalem. I mean, think about it. Jerusalem isn't a huge place. This is, this is one of the holy days, but it ain't like it's, it's uh, Passover. This is, this is a smaller festival. So there's a bunch of people from different, different countries and everything, and people are freaked out. And, and it was only two months after Jesus had died and conquered death. People saw Jesus walk around. People saw him do the things that he had done. And here they are talking about it 
In 14, people are like, man, those guys are drunk, drunk nothing. I understand him. I don't even speak his language. Look at him, he, there's no way he speaks that language. And yet I understand everything that he is saying. And then this is the moment. This is the moment when the ecclesia, the church begins, opening day. The first day it's the church launch of all church launches. And Peter gives the very first sermon in church history. And he stands up and he begins to take them through kind of this Old Testament pointing thing of who God is and what God is going to do. And then he says this at verse 22. People of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, you saw it happen. You, were, you don't believe me? I will line up 300 people who saw it because they're still here, because it happened two months ago, right? You saw these things happen. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God raised this Jesus to life and we are all, listen to this, witnesses of this fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he was received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. It was not just teaching that Peter got up there to say. Peter didn't get up there to tell you what Jesus had said. Peter got up there to tell you what Jesus did. It wasn't about all the different things. And man, Jesus taught a lot of great stuff. But what Peter got up there to say was, Jesus was alive, he died, and he conquered death. He gets up there to preach. You know what I'm saying? He gets, apparently y'all don't. You know what I'm saying? How, amen, preacher. Woo, oh, oh God. It says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. See, he's getting personal right here, right? I mean, he is, he is, this is not a soft serve sermon. This is a turn or burn moment. He says, God gave this Jesus who you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, attend church regularly. So y'all don't know scripture, huh? That isn't what he said. He didn't say attend church. There wasn't a church. Right, there was no building. He didn't go, hey, you know what you need to do to know Jesus? You gotta come every Sunday. You gotta put your hands in the air. You gotta open up your hymnals and put some money in the plate. He didn't say anything like that, right? But a lot of times when we think of church, how often have you thought this to yourself? Man, I haven't been to church. I gotta get back to church. You ever said that to yourself? I gotta get back to church. And, and you're thinking the building. You're thinking the place like right here, right in this moment, like boom, right now, I gotta get back to church. You know how many times I, I see people out in the community and I, and I see that church guilt look on their face because they hadn't been to church in a while and they see me and we lock eyes and they're like, oh no. 
he's gonna come over here, isn't he? And I walk over to him, they're like, oh no, he knows. It's a message from the Lord. Like we haven't been to church in six weeks. And let me tell you, I, I don't know, nor do I really care. Uh, quite honestly, it's between you and God. I care because it's important. But, but so many, I, like I was in line one time at this party on a Saturday night and, and uh, this guy behind me taps me on the shoulder and he's like, hey, if I'm with you right now, does that count for church in the morning? I'm like, no, does not, no. But we often say we gotta get, we gotta get back to this, this church. So that's not what he says. He doesn't say attend church regular. He says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The same thing that's making you understand me and your language, even though you know I don't know your language, will be yours when you repent, when you turn from the ways of the world and turn to God and you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, both geographically and chronologically, right? Peter is casting this message throughout time. He's saying not just here in Jerusalem for those of you who knew and saw, but for everyone to Judea, to Samaria and the ends of the earth and not just to the ends of the earth for the moment for your children and their children and their children and all the way up until right now when we are a part of the fulfillment of this prophecy. He says, it will go far, people far off for all whom the Lord God will call. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3000 people joined the church that day. Come on, that is an opening day, right? We had 21 people join the church last week which is pretty amazing. You should all go, wow, that's on an online virtual time. That's right, 21 people joined the church last week. 3,000 joined the church that day when Peter dropped his mic on the very first sermon. Can you imagine how long it would take to baptize 3,000 people? Like, like a really, really long time. Right? They were sitting, I mean, they probably used everybody, everybody of water. Just run them in the Jordan, out the Jordan, in the Jordan, out the Jordan. And people came to, here's the thing. If you're one of my confirmation kids, you may remember this story. Why 3,000? Like when, when there's a number mentioned specifically, there's a specific reason why the number is mentioned. Why 3,000? Well, there's an interesting story you may remember. Be, because many, many years ago, when, when God was first calling the people of Israel into being his people from whom the Messiah would come, he reaches in to their time of oppression and slavery in Egypt. And he rescues them. Right, remember this, he brings them out, he parts the Red Sea, they walk across the sea as a highway, as that song just said earlier. And they get to the other side and Miriam breaks out the tambourine and they have a worship service and everybody raises their hands and maybe rocks the baby and does all those fun things. And, and it was just this amazing time. And, and then Moses goes up the side of the mountain, you remember this, and, and, and God is giving him these instructions, these laws that will help them become free. And while he is there for 40 days, the people freak out. And the people lose their mind and they don't know. They're like, he's gone, he's left us. We should have stayed in Egypt. And they throw all this gold together and out comes this golden calf and they start bowing down and worshiping to the golden calf. And then Moses comes down. And do you remember what happens? Moses ain't happy, right? He drops the tablets. 
and, and he's, he's so angry with them and God is angry with them because he brought them into this new understanding of who they are and they repented and they turned away from the world. But then when things got a little tough, they turned back to the world. And so that day, and this is one of those Old Testament stories that's kind of hard to stomach. That day, God said, Moses, get the Levites and go through this camp and kill anyone who worshiped this golden calf. Do you know how many people were killed on that day? 3,000. So what God is doing at the very beginning when he's trying to shape what the movement of God will be, the very time where he brings his people out and teaches them that they are the sons and daughters of his, 3,000. The beginning of the church, he brings it back. Like 3,000 were lost that day, but now when this movement's sitting, starting to get some legs, starting to move, 3,000 come back. See, because the church, the message, the assembly, the movement of God is about the restoration of all things. And so God's very first action was to restore what was lost. The very first moment of the church was to bring restoration. And since that time, the church has failed miserably in many ways. And the church has done amazing things for incredible reasons and purposes. But since that time, there have been people who have held on to the power and wanted the church to be a building and the, and, and the control of everything that you do. And since that time, there have been people like William Tyndale, and there have been people who have said no to the power structure and yes to the movement and said, church is not about a building. Church is not about a location. If it was locked in a location, it would never have spread throughout the world. Church is a movement, a movement of the people of God who know what it means to be free, to go into the world and carry that message of hope with them. Y'all better start saying hallelujah, amen, or I'm gonna keep on going. The church is not about structure, it's about release. The church is about releasing freedom into people's lives. We are the church. We are the church. We are the people who are called to say yes, to go into the world. Not, to, man, we need to come up in here and to worship Jesus, to get filled up, to go into the world. Because we have turned our back on the world and we have turned to him. And so we are a church who says yes. Over the next six weeks, we're gonna look at what that means. What does it look like? Because right now, when we're coming out of this quarantine time, there is not a better time for us to figure out who we are. Yeah, I want you to come back into the sanctuary and to worship with us, because man, I miss you. I miss you being in here. I, I miss your smiling faces. Even behind masks, I can see the smile. I want you to be in here. I want you to feel this worship team and the presence. And when you get together and you sing, it's awesome. But man, we need to seize this opportunity. We've made some roads into communities and to places that we never have, and we gotta keep walking down those roads. We have to grab this opportunity to say that the church is a movement. That means we gotta move. We gotta keep on moving. We gotta keep on saying yes. We gotta keep on being the people who move into this world and bring the kingdom of God with us. Can I get an amen from the congregation? Father, we thank you and praise you for the way that you move in our life. We thank you that you are a God who gives us life. God, forgive us for those moments where we've tried to put the church into a building. Man, we can create buildings that worship and honor you, but, but we're the church. And God, let us have the courage and the wisdom and the strength to move. We thank you 
and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and join us in worship one more time?